Welcome to episode six of the HSE podcast with me, Mick Ord. Over the past few months, we've been discussing the key regulatory changes which have been implemented now that the UK has left the European Union. In the last episode, we heard from businesses about how they'd been preparing for changes to PPP, that's plant protection products, and BPR, biocides products regulations, in the run-up to 2021. This time round, we're looking at how people have been preparing for the changes to CLP. That's the classification, labelling and packaging of substances and mixtures. REACH, that's the registration, evaluation, authorisation and restriction of chemicals. And PIC, prior informed consent, now known as GBPIC, which concerns the import and export of hazardous chemicals. John McKenzie, Head of Regulatory Affairs at Thomas Swan in County Durham, is back with us, I'm pleased to say, as is a new guest on the podcast, Dr Chris Howick from Innovin Chlorvinyls in Runcorn. They produce mainly chlorine, caustic soda and chlorinated derivatives from plants in the UK and all over Europe. They employ a total of 750 people. I started by firstly asking Chris about the challenges his company faced in the run-up to 2021 as they prepared for the new GB regulations. Well, I think it's been an interesting journey from the very announcement of the referendum results. It caused a lot of uh, discussion in the early days, but I think bit by bit as regulations started to come in the UK and preparedness from the regulatory agencies in the EU progressed, it was a little easier to see exactly what we had to do. I think we had a few stop-start processes with the no-deal scenarios because we had to get ready to transfer reach registrations and biocides registrations across to a European entity or an ongoing European entity for the initial leaving dates and of course we had two or three leaving dates in the end and so we then had to sort of cancel those transfers to bring them back to ensure that they didn't transfer so it's been quite eventful in that respect but i think to a certain extent it didn't matter whether there was a a free trade deal or not because we were going to have to go through these actions anyway so it gave us some bit of extra time preparing it and I think now that that is is done, I think we can now concentrate on the actions for ensuring that we are compliant with the new UK regimes where there's a little bit of a grace period before the first sets of deadlines come up with that. Joe McKenzie, was that a similar scenario at your company in terms of ensuring that your products are REACH compliant? Indeed, it was. Yeah, very similar. I remember contacting some of our suppliers, the smaller guys especially, and kind of like the rabbit in the headlights reaction from them, like, what? You mean we've got to change and do things that we didn't do before? But now it's gone from there to they're saying, oh, yeah, that's fine. No problem. So we've come on a huge journey from the referendum in 2016, wasn't it, to now, by this time this comes out, that we will have left. And um, it's come from not knowing very much about, at all about what we're going to have to do to being pretty comfortable that we are on top of things. So, yeah, it's been quite a journey. 
Chris, for you, in, in terms of classification, labelling and packaging, CLP, any observations about how the transition period has gone in in that particular uh, section? I think it's been a little more straightforward than the REACH situation. I think the advantage is, although we now have two regulatory regimes, so we're a, we manufacture at sites throughout the EU, but we have a significant presence in the UK. And so as far as the UK manufacturing assets is concerned, we now have sort of two regulatory regimes, one in the UK and one in the EU. The advantage is, of course, we start with the same situation for classification and labelling because clearly on the 31st of December 2020, the UK had the European CLP regulation and this now transfers to the UK one. Remains to be seen whether there is um, differentiation and whether it happens and then to what extent it happens. But uh, there are some subtleties in that um, clearly when we supply companies in the EU from our UK site, those companies often become the importer. And so they carry some additional responsibilities by importing material from outside of the EU into the EU. And it works the other way around as well. So if we import from one of our sites on the continent, we now have to ensure that there's reference to the UK or I should say GB classification regulation there as well. And as I say, at the moment, we start with the same classifications. So it's a a technical or an administrative task, but uh, we just need to see how that develops in the future of whether the UK will deviate from uh, or have a different opinion on a case-by-case or chemical-by-chemical basis. And how did you know that the various actions you've described were required? Where did you go for that information? Well, we're very sort of fortunate we play an active role in the Chemical Industries Association and also on the polymer side from the British Plastics Federation. So we're active in those two trade associations for the chemicals and polymer side of our business. They've both been a very good source of information. So the regular meetings and uh, organization of webinars with input from the UK regulators. On the, the European side actions, there has been some good detailed guidance documents on the European Chemicals Agency website as well of the change in obligations for companies and the particular guidance of how you had to navigate through the what's termed REACH IT, which is the agency's um, submission portal for chemicals as well of what the obligations for companies were for that. That's particularly on the REACH side rather than the CLP side. And then, of course, we did get the statutory instruments, which, of course, are phenomenally difficult to read because (laughs) they refer to the original European legislation. They only really highlight what changes by making them a UK regulation. I think companies, particularly on the continent, that found the the UK statutory instrument thinking they were going to find how they had to comply. And it's very, very difficult to read, even if English is your first language. So I think it's the guidance that goes with it now. And certainly the government websites now got a lot more information on. And the HSE and DEFRA have done some very good roadshows over the last two or three years that have been very informative. And I think recordings of those are still available 
on the internet if companies want to catch up with those. So those were particularly useful and I'd say a lot more informative in the early stages than the initial guidance. But certainly we've now got some good documents from the UK regulators as well. What about the situation in terms of the export and import of hazardous chemicals pick? The prime reform consent side is uh, taking us a little longer to set the systems up because we weren't sure exactly how the UK was going to do it. But with materials transferring between our sites in the EU and our UK sites and vice versa, of course, what would just be a, a seamless transportation before the end of the transition period now has to be licensed and uh, because the UK is now out. So um, we did have to essentially apply for licenses before the end of the transition period in order to ensure that uh, we had the necessary licenses for export. ECA, European Chemicals Agency, work on a 35-day lead time for PIC applications. So those all had to be submitted well in time for the end of the year to ensure that they were in place. Going the other way, the UK system is more based on seeking permission and authorization via email. The UK has a system which is fit for purpose because of the sort of smaller size of the market. I don't think it's gone for this extensive IT system that uh, there is on the European side. But I think we'll see how that goes in the the HSC and the um, competent authorities in the UK. I think we'll keep that under review of whether it needs to be expanded. But uh, again, we had to set those up to be ready for the exports to go in January. So we, we're confident that things are in place and we'll review it as the, the new year progresses. John, PIC doesn't necessarily apply to you, does it? But what about CLP and REACH? Have you got anything to add? In terms of preparations that we've made, do you mean? Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, what we've had to do is we, we're, I mean, technically we're a medium-sized enterprise, an SME. We don't have any footprint in the EU. We don't have, don't have an office or another site. So what we had to do was to set up a relationship with what's called an only representative, or OR for short, in the EU. So we've done that with a German company, it's, and it's a consultant again. And what's going to have to happen is we transfer our REACH registrations to them first, and they then accept them in the new year, and that will be our registrations transferred into the EU. And then we'll have to grandfather, and that's called, we, we grandfather those into the UK system. So what we'll end up with is REACH registrations in the UK and the EU. Of course, we only need those in the EU for uh, chemicals that we supply our products we supply into the EU. But we'll end up with two sets of registrations instead of one. And also potentially two sets of costs instead of one, because every time you set up a REACH registration, you have to buy into the, the dossier of data that exists. And it can be very expensive, you know, tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of pounds or euros. So we potentially will have to pay twice. Now, I don't expect that our costs are going to be doubled, but they will be significantly greater than they were before. I was just going to ask you, John, whether you think that that situation is replicated among other businesses of a similar size to yours. I'm sure it will be. I mean, Chris can comment on this as well, but I'm sure that every single chemical company that wants to supply into the EU 
will have increased costs because of the fact that we're having to deal in two jurisdictions now, the UK and the EU. Chris, do you just want to add to what John said there? Yes, I think there clearly will be increased costs on the what's termed the sweat equity side, which is the amount of time and effort that companies have to put into actually doing all the administrative work and submission of dossiers, etc. I think industry is, is generally trying to come up with a pragmatic solution on the data sharing issues, but it's, I mean, companies set up consortia between themselves to, sh- to initially develop the EU REACH dossier. And that was all based on, on sharing and each company in the same volume band, essentially paying the same amount of money. We're hoping that some pragmatism will come out of that with their approach to granting data access to UK companies registering for UK REACH. But it will be a a sort of consortium by consortium approach. Some companies may take a different view, but clearly companies may have to pay for data access, whereas at the moment they don't have to. And I think the biggest, most significant change by the introduction of the UK system is, is companies that are today buying from suppliers in the EU sort of change from being a downstream user in the EU system to an importer in the UK system. So as a downstream user in the EU system, there's no obligation to register. But as an importer, there is an obligation to register if your supplier hasn't registered or or isn't going to register. So I think that still remains something of an unknown situation. We don't know how many companies will be caught by that. And we just need to see how many EU manufacturers are prepared to register their substances on the UK market and under the UK system. I think that's a really good point. I think that the biggest impact on the chemicals industry is is on those people who are, are distributors who have never had to register their chemicals up to now, but now they will have to if, yes. when they import from the EU. One of the things that we did as, as a company was we did a survey of all of our suppliers globally, every single one, sent them out some information a couple of years ago, just so they're aware of what was going to be going on and to ask them a few questions. And I got some positive answers. You know, the bigger companies that you'd expect knew what they were doing, were fine with it. It was the smaller companies who didn't realize sometimes that they were going to have to now register for the imports and maybe import relatively small amounts didn't realize we're going to have to register them now but that was a couple of years ago and now it's turned around so we went from about i don't know half a dozen things maybe a few more than that on what we call the critical list of raw materials that we buy from suppliers now down to just one which is a fairly small minor component in something and so there has been a big shift in knowledge and information in the industry so you know, it's it's changed a lot in the last few years, I think. It's clearly getting better, I think. and uh, But I think it's the, the concern is maybe on the, the SME side, where particularly the import, I think, of chemical mixtures, a particular one in the polymer sector, where quite a common ingredient would be what's termed either a stabilizer master batch or a pigment master batch, which sort of blends of various stabilizers, antioxidants, pigments. And a lot of companies will buy all these additives in one 
formulation in a formulated product, you know, sort of blue 29 or something. And if they're buying those from an EU supplier, in theory, each substance in that mixture will need to be registered or you would need to know it's been registered. And for the supplier of that material, if, if the ingredient isn't hazardous, is not classified as hazardous there, there's no sort of compulsion to declare exactly what the components are. So these materials are being imported with good safety data sheets for the mixture, but it's very difficult to ascertain exactly what the chemical components are. As an importer, you have to do a downstream notification and then a registration. It's a particular challenge, but I think companies certainly have welcomed the the change in the timeline of registrations now to this sort of post two-year, four-year and six-year periods, because particularly those SMEs now have got some time to resolve these issues with their supply chains. And that's, I think, been very welcome. What actions would you recommend, Chris, for businesses that don't feel prepared and maybe fall into that SME category that you've just been talking about? I think for companies in the UK, so SMEs in the UK, is just have a think and check with your suppliers. Just try and understand what it is you are importing. Are you importing a mixture or a pure substance? And the most important question, probably, I think that you would need to know, ideally in advance of the 27th of October, but certainly by the 27th of October, is whether your supplier is registering that or is somewhere up the supply chain is that are the substances in that mixture or is that substance going to be notified and registered under the UK system. So there is a deadline for notifications for those importers by the 27th of October 2021. That's not a registration, but it's a notification. And ideally, check with your suppliers before then that you know that you don't have the registration obligation. It's all being taken care of further up the supply chain. I think that's the first, probably perhaps the most important aspect and just engage with your supply chain. Just say, what what are you preparing to do? Is the substance grandfathered into UK reach or if not, is it going to be notified and registered under UK reach either by your supplier or your supplier's supplier? Just ensure that that information is flowing up and down the supply chains. John, have you got anything to add to that? No, that's really uh, well covered by Chris. If anything, I would say check with your trade bodies, get some advice from them, see what they say. Uh, they'll no doubt have information ready to, to send to you if you need. And check the uh, gov.uk website because they've got really good checklists. It's really rough and ready, but they're really good to point you in the right direction. Of course, the HSE website has got good information in it as well. Thank you to John McKenzie and Chris Howick for their thoughts and observations, which I hope you found useful. If there are still any areas where you feel you need some more information, then log on to the HSE website, which is regularly updated. There's a link in the notes accompanying this podcast. Remember, too, that you can contact our help desk directly. Just email your question to eu-exitchemicals at hse.gov. UK. I'll give you that email address again, eu-exitchemicals at hse.gov.uk.
www.gov.uk and we'll respond as soon as possible. Again, the email is in the notes that come with the podcast. And please subscribe to our e-bulletin newsletters too. You do this by popping your email address into the subscription boxes, which you'll find on the HSE website. We'll keep you informed of news and updates as they affect the chemicals industry. So many thanks for joining us. Good luck with your business for this year. From me, Mick Ord, and the rest of the team. It's goodbye until next time.